To be made good costs me nothing. Now, after I'm made good, it may cost me everything. But to be made good, it cost me what? Nothing. And uh, so last week we talked about uh, who I am. And we talked about the, uh, the looking glass self theory, which basically says our perception of uh, what other people think of us is the foundation of our self-image in society today. So it's our perception, what we think other people think about us, forms the foundation of our self-image in our culture today. And, uh, and then I, I, I talked about how the closer, though, my relationship is with God, then the more of how I believe He sees me shapes my self-image. Amen? And so that's why we got, need to get closer to God, because once we start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, then it gives us an incredibly healthy self-image, right? To the point where we just seem sometimes so confident that if people didn't know better, if they weren't being loved by us and, and blessed by us, they'd think maybe we were just a little bit arrogant, right? But it's not arrogance, it's, it's a confidence that I'm loved by Jesus, and the only people that interpret it as arrogance are usually people who are so worn down in their own self-worth that they need to be lifted up and encouraged as well. And God's put you there to do that for them. Amen? Then we, uh, we looked at uh, Psalm 139 and how David had such a good grasp of this revelation. David got it, and he said that you and I are the wonderful works of God. And, and how Satan knows this, and that's why he hates us so much, is because every time he looks at us, he sees a unique expression of the one that he truly hates, which is God. And uh, then I concluded with a, a quote from Bill Johnson. And it said, God had, made it, uh, had a dream and that he wrapped your body around it, that, that you are the culmination of a dream of God. And you need to get that into your spirit. Barry says he stole it from him, but, you know, uh, Barry thinks that a lot of people stole stuff from him, and that's just because Barry has such an incredibly healthy image of himself, that Barry even told me the other day that, that you know, he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord stole something from him, and I said, really? That's, that's amazing, but, uh, <laughs> well, you know, anyway, so last week we were talking about self-image, and, uh, we had to deal with that. Now today, I want to deal with instead, I want to deal with your performance, what you do, what it is that we do. We talked about uh, we're not accepted by God because of our self-image. We're not valuable because of how we look, how we dress, how we uh, are, you know, whether we're thin or, or, or fluffy or whether we're tall or whether you're short or whether you've got male pattern baldness or whether you've got a full head of hair or any of those things are not what qualifies us or has anything to do with how valuable we are in God's eyes. Amen? And, and, and you know, it's easy to say that. And, and probably, you know, for ladies, that's a much more difficult thing because our culture puts so much pressure on women about image and uh, and there's this ideal image of what you need to look like. And women are just constantly under pressure, pressure put on by culture and a lot of it male-driven culture, but to have to look a certain way and, and, and be dressed a certain way, et cetera. And, you know, guys, you know, can probably still, like, you know, look in the mirror and be 40 pounds overweight and, you know, balding and everything else and go, I look good. <laughs> you know? Mo most guys can probably do that. They go... I look good. I understand why my wife can't keep her hands off me. I get it. I get it. I mean, you know, and, and, and most guys can probably do that. I'm not saying that, 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 you know, we don't have image issues as well, but it often is something that falls uh, more strongly upon ladies. But you know what? This one today, guys, this one often falls more strongly upon us, is we have an incredible 
difficulty accepting that God loves us regardless of how we've done, regardless of whether we won or not. And this is a big issue. We live in a competitive world. I mean, uh, even, even the rash of reality TV shows that are set up as co- cooking competitions and I mean, a silly bachelorette's a competition. All this stuff is competitions where people are vying in some of the most vile ways to win something that, that shouldn't be won that way. Uh, I mean, we turn everything into a competition. And then look at the money that's made in sports and in, uh, in all of that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's competition. And a lot of it driven by the male desire to have competition. You know, the male desire to, to win, to be the one that comes out uh, victorious in the end. And, uh, and that is a strong thing. And, you know, it starts really young. If you don't do well in school, then you're told you're going to, and you receive poor grades, you're told, listen, you won't be able to get into the university or the college that you want. And that could affect your education. And that could affect how, how you do in life. And then we're told if you don't perform well on the field or on the ice, then you're going to spend most of your time warm on the bench, Right? Then we're told if you don't do your job, then you don't perform up to the standards, then you could lose that job. You could lose that income. If you own a business and your work's not good enough, well, then your contracts will dry up. I mean, everything is driven by performance. The truth is constantly being reinforced that how you perform determines your success and, by extension, then, your value. Because if you're not successful, then you're not valuable, right? And that's what the world's telling us all the time. Now, this is not a message for, uh, to, to spread mediocrity, you know. It's like, well, don't worry about, the, you know, success and don't worry about working hard. And don't work, worry about doing a good job. Just settle for a mediocre life. That's not what this is about today. But I want you to understand that your value to God is not based on how you've performed. It's not based on what you have done. And uh, this isn't just a revelation or a problem in, in, in our work either, or in our sports, or things like that. It's a problem in relationships as well. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I may have told this story before, but uh, I think I was about, I didn't have a driver's license yet, so I was probably about 14, 15, and I discovered my neighbor right next door to us had a, a weed patch. He was growing marijuana. It was, and it was about maybe, I don't know, this, this, this area square here. And so my, my buddy and I, we, went, we stole all his marijuana plants. He was growing them to sell it at the, uh, the pool hall where the guy hung out all the time. And so we stole them all. And uh, we stole all of them at one little plant that was a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree type. It was only about that tall. The rest of them were like six, seven feet tall. We stole them all. And then uh, uh, we rode them. We were riding down the road on our bicycles with these great big sheaths hanging from our shoulders, you know, in the, and about 10 o'clock at night, just pedaling away with all we can do, you know, uh, carrying all this stolen weed. And we thought to ourselves, what's he going to do, report us? You know, because just for those who don't remember, it was illegal back then. So uh, anyway, so we took it and we hung it up in his loft of his barn and we cured it there and everything else. And, and then that summer, we took all of that weed and we put it in these old tobacco tins that uh, my, I used to get from my grandfather. And we kept all kinds of stuff in them. My grandfather used to roll his own cigarettes. Do you guys remember those days? And, and so he had the tobacco tins. We filled those things. We had I don't know how many tins full of weed. And we just advertised that we were willing to come and share. Uh, so we got invited to every party you could imagine that summer. We were popular guys. And I was more interested in being popular than I was in making money. This is the one revelation I had back then. I'm not sure if that would be true today. But, uh, you know, 
But I mean, uh, I, I was just, you know, out there and being celebrated all the time. How many know it feels good to be celebrated? I was being celebrated because I was the weed man. That was my nickname, right? And uh, so anyway, got invited out to all these parties, spent the whole summer as the weed man, you know, and then my supply ran out and my phone stopped ringing. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine? My supply ran out and my phone stopped ringing. It was a terrible shock to me. I got a video that kind of illustrates my, my point here, if you guys want to just uh, uh, make sure the audio is up for this. This is, this is a, a good one. That, this is a 1990s commercial for Snackwell Crackers. You guys remember those? They were the first company to make fat-free stuff. Not as popular anymore because we realize fat-free means full of sugar. But these guys were the first as Snackwells, and so this is them. Crank her up, boys. Thanks for bringing these new snack rolls tortilla chips. And we thought you just made cookies. I like to keep busy. <laughs> these chips taste muy bueno. Gracias. <laughs> Oops, looks like we need more chips. Sorry, that's all I brought. <laughs> You know, I remembered that commercial, and I thought how much I could relate to that guy. You know, he ran out of crackers, and he was put out to sea. And uh, I ran out. I was no longer the weed man, and I was put out of people's lives as well. And, uh, you know, we live in a world where our identity is based on what we can do and what we can produce. And... Some of that is necessary in a, a world where we have to work and we have to labor still and, and we have to do all these things to survive. But how many know God's kingdom was not originally set up like that? That it was set up so that the land and everything would produce without having to work it, without having to do this, without having to do that. It would be just as casual as just being going out and, and, and putting the stuff in baskets and bringing it in. There were no weeds. There was none of those other complications. Uh, it, just, it was just bountiful and it was there. And God never intended for us to have to labor and perform in order to have value. He had work for us to do, and he had things that we would be doing, but it wasn't to find our value and our identity and our survival. And, and today, our culture is all built around that. And so we struggle, just like the, the, the guy in the commercial, or just like me when I was the weed man, we struggle to find our identity outside of what we're able to do. Um, you know, Often my wife and I, we, we get invited to things where we don't know people. It happens uh, when you're a pastor. You get invited to people a lot, whether it's weddings, right? You know the couple, but you don't know all their extended family or whatever. And, so, and then you're sitting at a table, and you probably don't know most of the people at the table or anything like that. And, uh, and then you get invited to fundraising galas and all kinds of stuff. So we're often in a situation where we don't know all the people that are gathered together or maybe even just a small fraction of them. But we're not too bad at working a room. You know, we've got a little bit of experience at that. And uh, so we're pretty good at working the room, talking to people and everything else. And often when we get in the car on the way home, my wife will ask me questions about who I talk to. And I'll ask her questions about who she talked to. And so, you know, this is often what our conversations sound like. So we're riding home in the car. And she said, oh, I noticed you spent like 20 minutes talking to, you know, that tall guy. What was his name? And I tell her his name. She goes, yeah. She said, so uh, tell me about him. And I said, uh, she said, like, is, is he married? I said, well, you know, I think so. Well, does he have kids? I don't know. You don't know if he has kids? No, I don't know. Well, what do you know? Well, I know that he's a Bears fan. I, I know that 
I know that he works at such and such, and I know what his job is there, and I know how long he's been at the company. I know what it is that he does there, and uh, I even know how his uh, RSPs are doing. You know what I'm saying? But I, I don't know those personal things about him. And I said, now I saw you talking to so-and-so. I said, what did you find out? And then she tells me about their kids and else, and, and about how many children they have and about, about all, this time they went through this problem and how they got through this. And I said, really? You got all that in 15 minutes? How many guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, uh, I often come away from those conversations, and I don't know Jack about their personal life or their family life, but I know all kinds of things about their hobbies and their work and their sports teams and all that kind of stuff, right? And one of the reasons for that, one of the primary drivers behind that is because men are so driven by performance. We're so driven by what we do. And we get so much identity out of it that when we share with each other, that's the things we talk about. We talk about identity things that are wrapped around uh, what I do, how I perform, how I work, and those are the kinds of... And if we do talk about our kids, it's usually because, well, you know, my son uh, owns this company, or my son uh, or daughter uh, won a medal at this, or did that. We talk about their accomplishments more than we talk about who they are. Are you hearing me this morning? And uh, this is one of those things that we have got to, I believe, reclaim. Now, uh, this has become a huge problem for us in our society today, that you're only as valuable as your performance. And getting your identity from what you do is just as destructive as getting your identity from your body image. It's just as destructive, guys. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's just as deadly. If you're getting your, your self-worth and your identity from what you do, it's just as destructive as, you know, a, a lady getting her identity from her, from her self-image. And you writing and posting on Facebook or Instagram about all the stuff you've done is just as, as uh, weak, I think, as, uh, a, you know, some lady putting up all kinds of pictures about uh, her, you know, like this. And we, as guys, we go, really? You know, uh, I hear all these articles about, you know, you know teenagers that are depressed. One, one in New York City took uh, 9,000 selfies of themselves and was suicidal because they couldn't get the perfect selfie. I mean, like, like, how many know that's pretty ridiculously vain? You know what I'm saying? But guys, we're just as bad when we put so much stock in what we're doing. We put, we, and we get our value and identity from it, and, and we... Uh, you know, we, we're crushed when we've not done well and we perform poorly. It's a terrible thing. If your value, your self-esteem is based on how you look, what happens when your looks fade? Well, if your value or self-esteem is based on what you do, what happens when you can't do it anymore? What happens when you can't, you know, lift those weights or you can't, you know, fulfill that job or you can't do this or you can't do that? What happens when you're not? Is who you are destroyed? Is your worth diminished? In our culture, success provides value, and failure, everybody read that, causes what? Shame. It causes shame. It causes shame. Yeah, when it comes to being loved by God, your performance is of no consequence at all. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? When it comes to being loved by God, your, your performance is of absolutely no consequence at all. It means nothing. It means nothing. Everybody say nada. nada. It's true. 
when it comes to the love of God, your performance does not qualify you. Your failure does not disqualify you. Please look at the screen right now and read that over a couple times to yourself. When it comes to the love of God, your performance does not qualify you for his love and your failure does not disqualify you from his love. This, you have to get this into your heart. Because as long as you think that, that either of those statements are not the truth, you're in trouble. As long as you think that somehow your performance qualifies you or makes somehow God love you more, you're in big trouble. And your life will be locked into that pattern of trouble your whole existence here on earth. You see, we have to understand that God's love is what? Unconditional. That means there are no conditions on it. Just to help you out. There are no conditions on his love. I, I, it took me years to get, to, you know, to understand this. That I would, I would have, you know, be going along really well. And, and then I would, you know, have a, an argument with my wife or something. Or I blow it with one of my kids. And I would spend weeks in despair think just how absolutely hated by God I must be for how I behaved. And I couldn't wrap my brain. I mean, I knew God's love was unconditional. I knew it, but I couldn't experience it. How many know that that's the, 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 the longest, uh, you know, 16 inches in the world is between your head and your heart? And I could not get that into my heart. I, 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 could, I could tell anybody, because I'd been to Bible school. I mean, I was, a, I was trained, uh, you know, in theology. I understood the love of God, and I could explain it to anybody. But blow it, and in here, my self-worth plummeted into the basement. And here's the sad part about that. You know how you try to get yourself out of the basement? Performance. You think, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring her home flowers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my, the, the kid that I blew it with out for McDonald's, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to spend more time with him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote all my time for, uh, to, make, to making amends for what I've done. And sadly, theologically, this gets reinforced in many religious traditions. I was raised Catholic. This got reinforced so often in the Catholic Church, it was ridiculous. How many were raised Catholic here? How many remember going to, to, to confessions? And what did the priest give you after you finished your confession? Acts of what? Penance. Contrition. Right? Now he would say, now make a good act of penance, and then he would tell you what you had to, what you had to do. Now, nowadays, those, those acts of penance and those things that you have to do as an act of contrition, a dem to demonstrate, to prove your heart, is, are just prayers. I would be given a list of prayers that I had to do but I remember my dad telling me about stories of, of you know, in the old days, uh, the power and the control that the priest exerted over people, of them having to say prayers in, in public uh, on, on the steps at St. Anne de Beaupre, for example, uh, in, in church in, in, in Quebec. And they just, you know, up the steps and, until their knees were bleeding to try, and, to try and somehow make retribution for what they had done. That's not God. That's not God. Somebody say amen. Someone say praise the Lord for that. I want you to, to understand that, that this struggle we have with performing to get the favor and the love of God is not a new thing. 
It was a first century problem as well. And Paul tackled it over and over again in Scripture. Listen to this. What then shall we say? That Abraham our father has found, was, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Wow. Isn't that a powerful statement? That for the, he who works to be satisfied before God, it actually is, comes out as a debt. It doesn't prove anything. It actually works against you. If you're trying to earn your way, Paul says it actually becomes a debt. It becomes a, a weight that holds you down. But if you'll live it by faith and accept it by faith, then it's credited to you as righteousness. You're counted as righteous before God. Isn't that something? Romans chapter 9, verses 30, 33. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness? Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the at stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, Paul was saying, are we saying now uh, that the Gentiles are being accepted into the kingdom of God purely by faith, and yet the Jews can't make it by the, keeping the law? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Because it's only by faith. Only by faith in God. Wow, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Real straight to the point, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> man, oh man, that's good stuff. Hallelujah. I don't care what you say, that's good. Right there. <laughs> one more, let me give you one more. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. We who are Jews by nature... And not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh. Everybody say, no flesh. No flesh, no flesh shall be justified. No matter how hard you work, you will never, ever, ever be justified by your work. It can't happen impossible to happen, won't happen. It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because if you're trusting in your work, you're not trusting in Jesus, and Jesus then, as far as you're concerned, died for nothing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Now, I have to tackle something here before I move on. What about James? What about James? That book in the Bible that caused lots of problems for some people. What about James? You know, if you read James, especially chapter 2, it seems that he's disagreeing with Paul. And he's saying that we're not saved by faith. And uh, James was such a problem for Martin Luther, because Martin Luther's whole revelation as a man who was bound by works was uh, the revelation of the just shall live by faith, yeah. right? And then he comes across uh, James, and it bothered him so much, he called it the epistle of straw, you know? But uh, I think he just needed to, to maybe work some stuff through. But anyway, what about James? Well, listen, here's what caused Martin Luther this bit of a problem. He says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God. You do well. 
Even the demons believe that and tremble. But you want to know, O foolish man, that faith of that works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, uh, faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, if you guys have studied the Reformers, you know that they have three major statements, right? Sola gratia, which means grace alone, right? Sola scriptura, scripture alone. And sola fila, faith alone. However, what do you do with what James is saying here? I mean, my goodness, right there, pastor. And you know what, as a Catholic, I knew James better than any other book of the Bible. Just being honest. I really didn't, couldn't quote many scriptures, but I could quote, I could quote verse 24 up there just like that. I used to tell that to people all the time, especially anyone who got witnessing to me. I'd say, you know, faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. Faith that works is dead. Dead, 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 dead. But I don't believe they disagree with each other at all, Paul and James. And uh, you notice how the choice of words that James uses here. In the King James or in the New King James, he uses the word justified. He doesn't use saved or redeemed. He uses justified. Right? Did you catch that? So he said that a man is justified by works. He doesn't say saved by works, but he's justified by works. So let me show something to you. Justify. Justify to show an act, claim, statement, etc., to be just or right. To demonstrate that something has happened. To defend or uphold as warranted or well-grounded. So when James was using the term justify here, he was saying that you can tell that faith has completed its work and, that, and, and, and I'm justified by what you see. I've you, I, I got to understand that when you see my life, then it tells you what's happened in my heart. That's what James is trying to get across. And uh, there had been those who were saying that, you know, you could go around and sin and do all you want, and it had no bearing on your life. And James was trying to counteract that. He was trying to say, no, 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 no. How you live should be a reflection of what God has done in your heart. That's what James was trying to get across. He wasn't saying that it purchased your salvation, but he was saying it, was a, it showed, it demonstrated what was going on in your life. And in fact, if you read it from the NIV, it clarifies this because it says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So he was saying uh, they're, they're considered, they're observed to be, they're understood to be righteous by how they're living and not by just saying, I have faith, right? Are you getting that this morning? And I think this is exactly what Paul taught as well. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I think this is one of the most important passages in Scripture because Paul takes all of his discourse from Romans and Ephesians and Galatians about grace and about faith, and he is able to connect the dots for people to see how it relates to our lifestyle and to our work. Paul is being really clear in one verse. He's saying, it is not by works. You are not saved by works. You are saved by grace through faith alone. But... 
He says, if you are God's workmanship, if you've been saved, you've been redeemed, then you have to understand you were made his workmanship to do what? Good works. God's plan for us was to go out and live the kind of life in Christ that we couldn't live without him. I can live a pretty uh, exemplary life. That doesn't mean perfect. It means an example. I can live a pretty exemplary life because of what Jesus has done in my life. And I've been called to live that kind of life because of what Jesus has done in my life. I'm not saved by how I work, but I work because I'm saved. That's right. Come on. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm not redeemed by what I do, but I do what I do because I'm redeemed. I'm not righteous because of the things that I do. I have been made righteous, so I do righteous things. Do you understand? And the things that I do are righteous because of he who's made me righteous. On my own, the Bible says my works of righteousness are like filthy rags. If I do them on my own, for my merit, for my benefit, they stink. But if I do them as a result of his righteousness in me, they're a fragrant offering to the Lord. Two people can be doing the exact same thing. And one is beautiful and the other one stinks. And the only difference is the position they're doing it from. One is doing it to gain his favor. The other is doing it because they have his favor. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can have two people in the church setting up chairs in the sanctuary for an event. And, one is, and they're both working diligently. And one is a fragrant offering to God and the other one smells like filthy rags. And the only difference is the posture from which they do it. One is serving because they've experienced the wonderful grace of God and they're doing it from a heart of gratitude. And the other one's doing it because they want somehow, somehow, just if you just see what I'm doing now, would you, God, would you intervene? Would you, would you feel, fix my finances? Would you heal my marriage? If I do this or I do that, and they're constantly working and working and working, trying to get God's attention, get them to do something for them because of all the things they've done. And that stinks to God. He says, every time you do that, every time you try to twist my arm by your good work, every time you do that, you're insulting my son. Every time you do it, you're slapping his sacrifice in the face. Every time you say, God, I got this. I, got, I can handle this. He looks down and says, you can't handle it at all. Turn it over to me. And together we can change the world. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You've got to get this in your spirit. This, this is one of those things upon which your entire relationship with God pivots. You know, sometimes I hope to live as good a life as my shirt looks. I mean, this is a fine shirt. Anybody doesn't recognize it? It's a fine shirt right here. And, and I hope to be as joyful and as colorful and as, as filled with the love of God as my shirt looks. But here's the thing. Even when I am not, it has nothing to do with my performance. It's because of what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. Are you hearing me? I just try to dress and match what's on the inside. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to demonstrate what's happened in my life. Are you hearing me? And, and you have to get this in your spirit. And, and come on, man. Come on. Wave that hanky. Hallelujah, brother. 
Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right, let me conclude this while I'm done. So, what is the message of grace today? I'm probably going to ask you this question at the end of each week. What is the message of grace today? So, what is the message today? Well, here it is. You cannot earn God's grace. Someone say amen. You can't earn it. It cannot be earned. Everybody say cannot. It cannot be earned. Number two, you are not valuable because of what you do. Hello? You are not valuable to God because of what you do. You could cease doing everything today and he'd love you just as much. You would be just as valuable to him, just as cherished to him, just as loved by him. You're not valuable because of what you do. You're not loved because you perform. You're not loved because of your performance. This is important. You're not despised because you fail, right? You're not despised because you fail. There is no room for pride when you succeed. So when you do have a successful campaign, when you do have, you know, you preach that message and everybody loved it, or, you know, hundreds came to the altar, uh, you know, you can't walk around going, oh, 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 man, God must be really happy he's got me as a servant, because look what happened today. No, there's no room for pride. There's none. It's him. There's, there's no room for pride. And we get that. I think that one's easier for us to get than this one. There's no room for shame when you fail. There's no room for it. It's just done. You say, but pastor, you have no idea how colossally I failed. You'd be surprised how much of an idea I have of how colossally you failed. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? And here's the thing. There's no room for shame when I fail. Shame is like the second thief. The first one was when I fell, and the second one is the shame that he throws on me afterwards. Both steal from my uh, journey in Jesus Christ. There's no room for shame. I, can I get at least one amen from a CR person here this morning? Come on. And finally, you've experienced his grace to serve, to love, to give, to produce fruit, more fruit, and bury what? Fruit that will remain. Here's the thing. The only fruit that is good fruit, the only more fruit that God's looking for, the only fruit that will remain is fruit that is done from a posture, from an understanding, from a, an acceptance of the fact that I'm loved for who I am and not what I've done. Any fruit you produce otherwise sucks. absolutely worthless. In fact, counterproductive. Because what it does is, is it gets in the way of you accepting God's grace. It, you start building these monuments to yourself. And the greatest thing between you and God is yourself. Lay that self at his feet. And let Jesus, let Jesus do the work in your life. I want you to stand with me this morning. When I was preparing this message and working on this this morning, my hardest part over the next few weeks is figuring out what I'm going to say each week because I have about 
two-thirds or three-quarters of the book finished, so I'm, you know, trying to say, okay, what, how, what can I succinctly stay, say this week? But when I was working on this this week, the Lord said, this is a, this is a culmination the last two weeks. You've got you to gotta lay some stuff down. You've got to lay your, your image down, or you've got to lay your work down. You've got to lay one of those things down this morning because you aren't going to be able to make the rest of the journey and experience all that God has for you if self is still getting in the way. You've got to lay that thing down to Jesus this morning. Because if we start talking about what that fruit looks like and, and how to walk in that fruit, and you still think the fruit qualifies you or the lack of fruit disqualifies you, we're at an impasse. We can go no further. So this morning in this place, this is holy ground right now. This is holy, holy ground. I've done my level best to try and communicate to you the awesome truth and revelation of God's grace this morning. And it took me, honestly, don't feel bad, it took me years to get this into my theologically trained head and move it down to my theologically vacant heart or maybe theologically overstuffed heart. I'm not sure which it was. But it took me years. But now that I understand, I'm able to serve and to love and to give and to do it from a place of experiencing, having experienced his incredible grace for me. And it's good. The beautiful thing is, I, if people don't appreciate what I did, I don't get offended. If you still get offended when you did something for somebody and they didn't appreciate it, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> That's the problem right there. You might think theologically you've got no problem, but experientially you're still living under it. Hello? If you think people shy away from you and they don't accept you because of how you look, <laughs> guess what? Last week was your problem. <laughs> Just saying. You have to come to Jesus right now and lay that before him. I don't want to drag this out, but I would just, if, if you're saying, Pastor, I'm with you, and the rest of this journey, I want to make sure that I am taking the, this, this old man, and the Bible says I am crucifying him with Christ. So that the Kevin that lives from here, the, the Barry, the Tom, the Tammy, that the person that goes forward from here does not live by himself, but lives purely by the grace of God. That's where I want to be, Pastor. I want you to come right now, and I want you to occupy this space with me, because I'm here, because this is how I want to live. This is how I need to be counted and credited. And I want you to just, it may be last week that really spoke to you. I had some people come and say, man, that rocked my world. I, I needed to hear that, but maybe some, especially you guys, I'll bet you this morning, God's knocking at your heart. And if you've ever been one of those per people that you've been offended when people didn't appreciate what you did for them, you need to be up here right now because you do not want that to get in the way as we move forward. And only the, the people of God who get a hold of this truth and understand this truth will ever be able to live highly functioning lives in the kingdom. Otherwise, it, it, you're going to struggle. You're going to wrestle. You're going to have such a difficult time. You've got to get this right now. Thank you, Jesus. Father, just take your hands and lay, raise them up to God this morning with me. Just raise them up to God. Oh, God, thank you, Jesus. Father, we lift our hands to you right now, Jesus, as symbols of surrender. 
If someone was come up and came in here with a gun and they said, you know, uh, stick them up. And we'd raise our hands up in the air as an act of, of surrender. Father, we lift them to you and we say, God, you're the only one worthy to surrender to. We give ourselves to you today. We surrender ourselves. We lay ourselves on the altar this morning. We give over our performance. We give over our images. We give over all of that about me and we lay it at your feet this morning. And Jesus today... Today we say, God, help me to live from the understanding that I have been redeemed because Jesus loves me. I have been redeemed because he loves me. He doesn't love me because I'm redeemed. I am redeemed because he loves me. He went to the cross because he loved me. He gave his life because he loved me. He's never not loved me. He's loved me from the beginning and he's loved me before I was, uh, I was even conceived in my mother's womb. He loved me. And today, your love, Lord, we say yes to your love. Father, we say yes to your love. And right now, what I want you to do is you take those hands now, and I want you to kind of clasp them together. And whether it's a, an image issue or whether it's a work issue, just take them in your hand together and just cast them down to the ground right now in Jesus' name. We throw that thing down, Jesus, right now right to the foot of your cross. We lay all our trophies at the foot of your cross. All the stuff we've trusted in, all the work that we've done, uh, somehow thinking that, that this will be the thing that makes the difference. No, Jesus, only you make the difference. Jesus said, uh, spoke to Barry back about the time he had his, his heart attack, and, and he survived. And he was looking at all these other great people of faith that, that didn't survive. He said, God, why, why me? And God reminded him. And he said, you know, sometimes, you know, and he's not pointing any fingers, but he said, people get trusting in what they're about to do instead of trusting in what I've already done. And folks, we don't want to get so focused on what we're about to do in the kingdom because we're about to do some great stuff. Amen. But we need to keep our eyes on what Jesus has already done. And if we'll work from that posture of what Jesus has already done, then he can pull the limits off and great things can come in and through his church, his people. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for that word also from Barry this morning that God, uh, that we may not have it all together. We're not up here at the front this morning confessing we've got it all together. In fact, we're, we're saying we don't have it together. That's why we're up here. Uh, we don't have it all together. But Lord, together we can have it all. And so, Father, this morning we recognize that together, working together, we can accomplish all things through Christ who gives us the strength today in Jesus' name. Now I just want you to raise your hands back and just praise him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. You are worthy, mighty God. You are worthy, mighty God. You're so good, Lord. You're so good. You're so good. Oh, mighty Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Now, some of you may be shy. I get that. Guess what? These people are not more righteous because they came up than you are. And if you're up here this morning, you say, oh, man, God must be really pleased with me. Eh! Hello. Hello. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? Let's, let's get practical before we even leave the back doors, okay? Uh, hello, right? Doesn't work that way. But. What you're, you have done, when you make a, a step forward any time during this series, any time we're talking about God's grace, and some, when a penny drops 
And you take a step forward because the penny dropped. You're taking a step forward and toward his grace. And when you do that, God is able to do greater things through your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm not opposed to work, just like Paul wasn't opposed to work. I want to do good work, but I want to do it because of what he's done in me. I don't want to do it to procure or secure his love for me. Are you hearing me this morning? We got to nail this thing and get it out of the ballpark. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, I just thank you for this house this morning. I thank you, Lord. For, Lord, the, the, the truth that is going to be deposited in us over the next few weeks. Wow, Lord, I am so excited. And, Father, I just pray your favor over your people, Lord, because when we walk in your incredible grace, Father, when we do it, uh, shame goes out the window. Performance goes out the window. Image goes out the window. Pride goes out the window. Judgment against other people goes out the window. Father, all this stuff gets tossed out the window. Then the train just keeps going forward, and it gets left further and further behind every day as we move closer to you. And Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Go get your kids. They're probably burning the place down the other end of the building, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, God bless you. Have an amazing week in him. Amen.